Welcome to Ethereal Underground, episode four. I'm your host, TNT, and once again, I'm happy to have a special guest, a good friend of mine from up north, the great north, Elijah. Now, most of you know uh, general background, my information. I'm a research scientist. I specialize in field theory science. That's different than atomic theory. And I work with ion production, structured engineered water, and plasma. But I'd like for Elijah to introduce himself and provide a little background so the listening audience, you can get to know Elijah, where he's coming from, and some of the interesting experiences that he's noted throughout his life. Well, with that being said, want to say hello, Elijah. It's good to have you on the show. How are you doing? And introduce yourself to the listening audience. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Elijah. I was uh, born and raised in a big city, uh, Chicago. Uh, I have a quite markedly different experience than uh, Tim and uh, other people in the circle. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I have a pretty unique perspective. Let me, uh, first of all, let me give you my condolences and apologize that you're from Chicago. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> now, the big question before you uh, explain more about your background, the demographics, what generation you are, siblings and all of that, I'm sure everyone right now, first question comes to my mind, are you a White Sox or Cubs fan? Well, I, living on the South Side, you you have to be a White Sox fan. Uh, that's for sure. I mean, uh, it's sacrilegious uh, if you are not. <laughs> well, I guess uh, I'll have to put it uh, this way. I, I think I'll have to end the interview. Uh, thanks for appearing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's fortunate that you're a White Sox fan. But <laughs> with all, all jokes aside, uh, I, I can understand that. Obviously, the south side of Chicago is very loyal to the White Sox. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that um, in the areas where I grew up, see, I, 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 I was born at the tail end of the 70s, so I'm a Gen Xer, and I believe that that's the last generation uh, that is normal. Uh, <laughs> with what's going on in this world. And, um, but it was also very brutal. Uh, you know, you grow up in a, in a rough neighborhood, you can't help but to be uh, some of that rub off on you just to be rough yourself. So uh, that's how I see it. Now, when you explain, again, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but I'm trying to lead the interview with the listening audience when you say a rough neighborhood or you're growing up on the south side of chicago what does that look like like fill me in i don't know anything about the demographics of south chicago in the rough area so in detail explain what does that mean what what did you experience and what's your ethnic background how many siblings do you have can you go into more detail uh, whatever you feel sure. comfortable sharing well uh I'm, I'm Hispanic, uh, specifically half Puerto Rican and half Mexican. Uh, the city of Chicago is a very, it's probably 
the the most segregated city in the United States. And everyone had their enclaves. Uh, I grew up in a Hispanic ghetto. That was our enclave. Uh, there were, uh, you know, Asian, uh, black uh, uh, enclaves. They had white. And they even went into other ethnicities. Um, there's an entire area of the way up on the north side that is all Indian uh, on Devon Avenue. So this is a this is not a city where, you know, there's diversity. Uh, there is diversity, but it, it's segregated, very segregated. And the, where I grew up, it was um, very tough area. Uh, the, the entire area where I grew up um, was divided by two gangs. Um, so I grew up on the uh, towards the, the the south but near south uh, of the city and and uh it's a little it's a place called little village and it was it was uh controlled by one uh a gang in the area i lived in but a few blocks over there was another gang and when i grew up uh i'll just tell you what it was like when i was in third grade i asked one of my schoolmates, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, Latin King. <laughs> That's what he wanted to be when he grew up. So, you know, the area was not, uh, it, 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 it wasn't a place where you would have Donny Osmond and, uh, you know, uh, leave it to Beaver kind of, of world. It was a very, very violent, very rough world that I grew up in. So you, the the Latin Kings was one of the two gangs you're referencing, correct? Yeah. And would you technically have been living in their territory, the Latin Kings, since you're, yeah. you have, you're Hispanic, you're half Puerto Rican, half Mexican? Okay. What was, what was the other gang that you said was only maybe a couple blocks away? Uh, they called themselves the Two Six. Uh, that was the other gang. So uh, the dividing line was 26th Street, uh, and 26th Street is a street that runs east and east and west. Um, now, if you lived uh, south of 26th Street, uh, then you were in the Latin King area. If you lived north of 26th Street, then you were in the 26 area. So that's how it it, it functioned. Now, what what with that? That's interesting. You said it's 26th Street. Yeah. So this sounds like yeah. the 36th, 38th parallel of North and South Korea. <laughs> dividing. Exactly. Exactly. If, it, if, it's a ghetto version of that. Yes. Okay. So what happens? You're you're on the south side there, Latin Kings yeah, territory. Yeah. What would happen if you crossed over the north side of 26th Street? especially you being the, with the Hispanic, Mexican, Puerto Rican, what would happen if you were caught in the other gang's territory? Even though you're, there were, there we'll get were, into the fact that you're not a gang member, but I'm just saying it, it's obviously you're Hispanic. What happens if you get caught north of 26th Street? Well, the thing is, is that there's a, there's a few rules. They basically left women and children alone. Um, but... 
if you were a Hispanic male, uh, I'll give you an example, right? So uh, when I was a kid, my mom would take us to Catholic church, of course. And so she would drag us all to Catholic church. Now, when my oldest brother turned 14, he's about seven years older than I am. So I was about seven when he turned 14, he could no longer come with us because if he crossed that parallel, like you said, he would have been, he got messed with, he got bothered. So my mom understood this and just left them at home. So they could no longer go uh, to, to church because they uh, would not leave the teenage uh, uh, boys to into their mid twenties. That was that was the the group. If you went into that neighborhood, they did not know you, and you were in that age group, and and a male, you were in trouble. That's interesting. Okay, so you're saying four, roughly age fourteen to twenty, you're a male. In your case, your family, you have this Hispanic Puerto Rican background. You better not be caught north of 26th Street at that age, especially by yourself, because trouble's coming. Is that what you're saying? Trouble's coming, yes. yes. And then that, evidently, coming. this Catholic church, when you were younger, that your mother attended, must have been located north of 26th Street? Yes, it was, it was north, and it was uh, somewhat west. So. So uh, it, it took us about, it was about a six block or seven block walk to get there. So it wasn't just the fringes or the outskirts of, the, of their territory. It was like right, in the, right into their territory. So, okay. yeah. Let, let me ask you, and you don't have to say the high school name or anything like that. Maybe people could deduce what school you went to if they're from Chicago, but uh, where was your high school located? Was it on the south of 26th Street or north? Well, see, here's the funny part of it. Um, when I, I think I was about 14 when we moved out of that neighborhood and we moved further south, right? So we moved very much south of, of uh, that area and we were, I was going to a school on 40th Street of the city of Chicago, right? It, it was technically neutral territory because the entire area before was a, a white enclave. It was a, a, a predominantly bohemian white neighborhood. But the demographics, again, were changing. And, there were a lot of kids going to that high school and the high school had uh, a lot of different gangs in them. So then I got exposed to different gangs from different areas. So then it wasn't just the Latin Kings and the two six, which were going to the school, but then you had the um, uh, SDs that were called Satan's disciples. And uh, you also had the um, bishops. They went there that were a black uh, gang. Uh, and uh, you had uh, uh, Cobras. Uh, that was a, a um, predominantly Puerto Rican gang. So yeah, you had a lot of different gangs going there. And you had a bunch of, of um, startups, which was, which was really hilarious. So you had, again, 
it was all based on your ethnicity and everybody uh, kind of gathered into their own groups, their ethnic groups. And then because Hispanics dominated, they, they were divided by the neighborhoods they lived in. So it was, it was not easy uh, navigating through that and trying to be neutral. No, it doesn't sound. It sounds like your your high school could be a Broadway West Side Story play. <laughs> I can only yeah, imagine except, what. Except, I can only imagine except what, with a lot more murder. <laughs> um, yeah, the you never belonged to a gang gang member, from what you said in uh, no discussion. How were you able to survive? because we'll progress beyond your school age. A lot of the listening audience probably wants to know what it's like today and what you've observed. But before we leave college or high school, when you were going to school and you remained neutral, you were not a gang member. Did that go well for you or was it easy to maintain neutrality during high school years? No. No, it, it was not. Uh, they wanted to recruit me. I was I was rather a big uh, Hispanic. When I got to high school at fourteen, I was five foot nine, and uh, you know most Hispanics don't even reach adult, you know, five foot nine, and I, and I was fourteen. I was that height, and so um, they were trying to get me to join their uh, gangs. But I had always been a very religious kid. And I was very much into the Bible. And I noticed that when I mentioned the Bible or anything religious, it was like kryptonite. It, 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 they, they wanted to be as far away from me as possible. And what I, what I noticed was that it was this weird, bizarre um, uh, thing that was happening where they were trying to recruit me to do bad things and to be bad. And in their eyes, that was good. And I was telling them, well, no, I'm trying to read about good things and be good. And to them, that was bad. And I said, I'm living in some kind of weird, bizarro world <laughs> on the south side of the city. And I thought it was only unique to me that I was in this weird uh, dichotomy where nobody wanted to do or be good. Everyone was trying to either be bad or pretend to be bad or 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 just trying to avoid uh you know being uh, uh labeled as anything. So you must have stood out like a sore thumb. You mentioned kryptonite because here yeah uh, well you were you were you said you were five nine at age 14 but Let's say by the time you're junior or senior year, how, how big were you? 5'11". 5'11". Uh, so you probably 5'11", and you're, and you're a big guy. The recruiting, they still probably wanted you to join their gang for that physical presence. But all through high school, you, you stood your ground to be neutral and, and had a probably very extreme minority goal of wanting to what would you say, uh, serve God or read the Bible or apply? Yeah, uh, I just, what I wanted to do, 
like you said, was to serve God the best that I knew how, according to what I was reading. And that was in no way, shape or form, not only was it not promoted, it was, it, it was actively discouraged, <laughs> which I never understood. You know, there were a lot of people that were trying to make me feel ashamed for trying to be good. And I never understood that. These were criminals, absolute actual criminals that stabbed people, killed people, ran people over, brutal, horrible people. And they wanted me to feel ashamed. Man, I'd, I'd hate to think what your high school reunion would be like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, trust me, I don't go to them. <laughs> You'd have to have a Kevlar vest or something. Oh, you know, that's what's interesting. You, wh when did you graduate? Was it not early 90s, mid 90s? Uh, it was around 94, so it was uh, yeah, mid 90s. Okay, nine, 19, 1994, you, you graduate. I wonder, your classmates with the all those gang members uh, throughout the school, and it seems like there was a lot of uh, violence or pressure to take sides. I wonder how many of your classmates are even alive today. I don't think that many. I mean, I ran into a few here and there. And um, I remember one day I was at a, at a gymnasium and there was a kid that I knew from uh, high school. And he was a big kid, like very, very overweight. I mean, I, I was overweight as well, but he, he was like much, much more overweight. And I saw him at the gym and I recognized him, but this guy was all muscular, like just tons of muscles. He had a six pack and I was like, hey, what happened? You know, I asked him, you know, what his regiment was to get to that level of shape. He told me six years in the pen. That's what he told me. Yeah. Well, I, could, I guess that that's... Uh one way of going going about getting in shape versus a Richard Simmons video. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Richard Simmons would have been torn apart there. <laughs> so he was a former schoolmate, and he had spent six years in the penitentiary. Yep. You're saying, yeah. Well, if we fast forward, you're, you're in your uh, 40s now, correct? Yes. And you're you have how many siblings? Three or four? I have I have three siblings. I have two older brothers. Uh, okay. One is seven years. The oldest is seven years. The other is six years older than me. And then I have a younger sister. Okay, so you're second to youngest. Probably fall in the four of you. So you're kind of the middle child. Maybe a little that mm -hmm. syndrome. Middle middle child. Fast forward to today. What are your observations just in society in general? From your perspective, how much has society changed since your high school years? Uh, anything you want to share about your family dynamics or how Chicago might have changed? Because I believe you're still basically in the general area of South Chicago to this day, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still in the, uh, the general area, yeah. Uh, well, the one thing I can say is the changes are very drastic and dramatic. I, I will tell you, I was, this was about four years ago. 
uh, I I was coming home from work. My my car had broke down and I had to take a bus. And the bus took me right down where my former high school was, right? And when the bus stopped at the school, all these kids came into the into the into the bus and I saw two boys holding hands. And they sat down next to each other, began to caress and kiss each other. What shocked me was that the school was full of kids. I mean, the bus was full of kids from school and nobody did anything to them. That would have been impossible when I was, when I was coming up, you had to be tough just to survive. You could not, they would not allow you to be weak or, or emasculate. It was not allowed. And what I've noticed is that now the way things are going, and I have uh, uh, nieces and nephews that go to high school, and it's it's completely different. Uh, nobody wants to be labeled a bully or to you know to to uh, have that kind of 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 uh, stigma. Now there's a stigma, a toxic masculinity, you know. And I, and I sat there and I thought to myself, I had to deal with toxic masculinity in grade school. <laughs> you know, that's when the kids started bullying and beating me up when I was in, in when I was in school. Uh, I mean, grade school, you know. Mm. And uh, the other thing I noticed is uh, how much the city is changing now. I mean, within the last I want to say three years or four years, there's just a complete utter disregard for the law. I mean, no carjacking in this city has gone up uh, 6,000%. Wow. Right? Yeah. Uh, they had the, um, the, the, the murder rate. Uh, I think they set a record last year. Um, they had 72 people were shot in one weekend. Uh, the, the homelessness, I mean, my God, we have here almost, I want to say not every bridge, but almost every overpass bridge. There's people are making, turning it into apartments. They've got couches. They've got like little table and chairs. Like, the, the, it for them it's like their home, uh, and uh, the, there's tent cities, something I never thought I'd see. Uh, there's areas in the city where if you go, it's gonna be just from one end to another of tents. You know, it's just collapsing everything I see around me. Uh, well, so things are getting much worse. What 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 do you think happens? That's just popped in my head when you said this. What happens in the winter time with these homeless? Because Chicago winters are brutal. I've I I a hundred years ago when I played hockey and stuff, and uh, up there I know the wind comes off the Lake Michigan. Um, you can't survive in Chicago during the winter if you're homeless. Correct? Uh, yeah, I I. I you're 100% correct. I, I, 
wouldn't know how they would survive the two years ago we had a polar vortex it got minus 60 degrees and i i don't even think eskimos are out at that temperature and um i have i really don't know how they survive but uh their homes are still there uh the tents are still there Well, the I don't know. The I know Chicago's in the news a lot. I I don't know if it necessarily gets a bad rap because not all Chicago's like that. A lot of it's concentrated in your area, South Chicago, and it is a large city. Do you know offhand? Isn't Chicago and then the surrounding suburbs around eleven million people? Yeah, if you're going to count the Chicago land area, it's about eleven million. But the yeah. city proper is only three. So when you hear all the shootings, people go, oh, my goodness, what is Chicago like Bosnia in the 1990s? Is it that that violent? But really, it's a big city. So I guess if you take a ratio per capita of the shootings versus how large it is, smaller cities like St. Louis are actually more violent, like North St. Louis. But that's still yeah. alarming because you hear Chicago in the news all the time. Because uh, I remember... You had the one day there was, would you say, 71, 72 shootings? Yeah, there were 72 remember, people who were shot. Yeah, I remember hearing that in the news. And that, so I think a lot of the United States has the impression that sh Chicago, at least that area, is like a war zone. But well, if you live there your whole life, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're alarmed, aren't you, with the increase of well, violence? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the very strange thing is what I had explained to you at the beginning. This is a segregated city, right? Mm -hmm. About 87% of all that violence and all those violent things that you see in the news happen in one area of the city. So there's, there's an entire area of the city uh, and it's, it's large. It's a large area of the city. So it would be uh, like from... 14th Street down to 73rd Street, and it would be from uh, all the way east of one street. That's an area that's kind of like a no-go zone. That east side of of uh, southeast side of, of Chicago, it's it's uh, predominantly African American, and very few people go into those neighborhoods, especially at night, that don't live there. So a lot of this is black on black. Yeah. So probably what happened, yeah, at, the, what happened at the Oscars doesn't help, does it? Well, uh, let's put it this way. Uh, they didn't help their, their image there. <laughs> it definitely so didn't help their image. It, it's definitely a, a problem of society. What, what, not that you're a, a prophet or psychologist, psychiatrist, but what would you think that the main cause of the deterioration of society and, and so much violence? Well, I don't know if that's a big question, but what's your gut feeling well, as I mean, for why it's deteriorated and getting worse, especially since the, when, the 90s when you graduated high school? Well, you have to go back and look at what is it that the culture is promoting. 
right? In the 90s was a very beginning of what they had called gangster rap, right? Yes. And it was not just African Americans that were consuming that um, uh, culture. And it had permeated into other areas, other neighborhoods, other people had that same mentality, this, this thug life, thug mentality. And it goes back to what I said when I was in high school. It was bizarre world. Everything bad was good and everything good was considered bad. So you look at the violent movies, the violent uh, music, the violent TV shows, right? And what do you expect to get from a society who you fed a steady diet of this to? Yeah, including video games. A lot of the popular yeah, video yeah, games yeah. are violent. So you have decade after decade after decade, as you mentioned, Hollywood spitting out violence, TV shows, music, and video games. Then that steady diet manifests itself to today where you have 72 shootings in one day. Yeah. 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 Th this, is, this is the culmination of a culture that you've promoted. That's what you get now. Mm. And then people wonder why, how, how, why? Meanwhile, they're listening to this music, watching these TV shows and, and, and uh, in promoting these movies. And then not to get into politics because there's plenty of talk shows and podcasts that get into that and ethereal underground. I, I don't want to really go down that avenue, but I don't think this is the case in, in Chicago, but I have heard on the West Coast, you have counties, townships, or prosecuting attorneys that aren't prosecuting certain crimes. So you see videos of smash and grab of everyone running out of a retail store with tennis shoes, clothing, or goods from from walgreens a drugstore and i'm sure that doesn't help to where it's almost like a green light for this lawless behavior and there's no prosecution and there's no end in sight because the family is broken down are there, are there any mothers and fathers anymore with the family unit and raising children and with uh, proper discipline and respect i think large portions of the united states maybe worldwide that's out the window now like you, because didn't you refer to the fact that it wasn't leave it to Beaver anymore? No, uh, look, look. The the thing is, I had a unique situation. People in my neighborhood were immigrants coming from other countries that had those ideas and those philosophies and those uh, values still in place from their culture that they came from. But I watched the children go to these schools, right? They got their education in violence. They got their e education from the streets. And then they, they grew up with this rotten, soulless culture. They adopted it and they abandoned the values from where they came from. So you had a situation where 
people left a brutal uh, 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 situation from their homelands to come here to give their kids a better life. And what they got was this vile culture transformed their kids into, into these gangbanging uh, uh, thugs. Well, to me, it doesn't look good because I don't see from a worldly perspective or from a human political perspective, there isn't any answer to this. Do you see any from a human standpoint or any? No, not from humans, no. Not from any humans, no. No, you, this is too ingrained. This, this, this goes back. And then the thing is that uh, uh, people are defending violence and they call violent acts a right. So you'll have a, something like in Texas where they wanna pass a, a, a law that if you're under 18, you need your parents' permission to get an abortion and they're up in arms. They want the right to take life whenever they want to, or it, at, at a whim, whenever it suits them. That's in the culture. I know you and I will, I'm not sure how much time, maybe 20 minutes left of the interview, but if, if we transition, you described well, and I, I agree the disintegration of society. Some pockets, there's still hometown feel. You don't have this violence and there's still children. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, but overall, it seems like the momentum is in the favor of degradation or a decline with no end in sight. I know we've had earlier discussions about the environment and you're, I'm an environmental scientist. That's one of my degrees. The other's in chemistry, but I'm heavily environmental science. You are very upset because we've had private conversations about the, in, the weather and the environment and atmospheric salting or weather manipulation, weather modification. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, I used to love to look up in the sky. I love watching the big puffy clouds. I love watching the, the, the blue blue sky and I really enjoyed seeing the yellow sun and at some point when I was in my mid-20s mid to late 20s there was no more big puffy clouds there was these streaks and there was a silvery white there was no more blue skies it was just this just nastiness and the sun was no longer yellow, it's white. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw that, I knew something was wrong and I did, could, just couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. So I did some research because I thought, well, there's gotta be a reason for this. And I, uh, you know, in my research, I found that term, geoengineering. And I was like, well, what's this? 
And as I looked more into it, and they talked about the uh, atmospheric salting, the, they call it the solar radiation management. Uh, they called it, uh, uh, all of these um, proposals. And that's what they said. These were all proposals. And I said, but look, it's happening. So as I got more into it and I found out that they were spraying aluminum, barium, strontium, right? And this stuff does not stay in the air. It comes down. So one night, I, I remember this very vividly. It was a very dark night. There was no moon and it was a pitch black sky. And I had put a very strong, powerful flashlight. I turned it on and I looked and it looked like it was snowing. There was these particles coming down from the sky and I could see them with my flashlight and it was against the dark night. And again, it looked so much like snow. It was just coming down. And I thought, I'm breathing this in. We're all breathing this in. Everyone that is uh, has this atmospheric uh, uh, seating going on, if you see those streaks in the sky, know that every breath you take is going to poison you with these with this material. And I just remember feeling so powerless because here they are, they're able to 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 destroy nature, literally. And nobody's doing anything about it and everyone's pretending like it's not happening. And I well, think it's just a shame. It gets, Elijah, it gets worse than this because I'm at a crossroads with the information that I know, what I've observed and some sampling and testing that I've done as a, as a research scientist, that this is definitely going on. The, the aircraft have a different transponder. It's not military or commercial. These aircraft cross international airways that are never shot down. If you and I rented, uh, I'm, I'm a pilot, single, engine rated pilot, but if you you and I rented, uh, say, a Cessna 182, and we tried to fly from Poland to Ukraine or Italy to France without our uh, identification, how long would it last before we're either shot down or escorted down? So something is going on globally where they're crisscrossing, crossing national borders, nothing ever happens to them. Who's funding these flights? who's manufacturing and funding the geoengineering. And then the samples that I've taken in unique snowfalls where it has a copper bronze tint to it, the melting temperatures have changed. The viscosity is different. The tension strength, the capillary action is completely different with the samples that I've studied, so I don't, it's, it's not snow in that case, but there's plastic particulates and graphene oxide components. So you're right, we're not only breathing the sand, but it's changing the soil composition of the farmland and traditional 
heritage seeds, crops that we've had since the beginning of time are having difficulty growing because the cation exchange sites of the A and O horizon, street term topsoil, are filled with aluminum and manganese, strontium, and it's basically clogging up the root system of plants to uptake moisture and minerals. I don't share what's happening. I, I don't know what to do. I, uh, here I am stuttering in this, this interview. I'm at a, uh, Elijah, I'm at a loss because I don't think it, few enough people would even listen and take it seriously. I think all I would do is expose what I know, which would put my life in jeopardy. But I hate to tell you this, it's too late to turn this around. I'm not going to go public or anything. There's not enough people listen to my podcast anyway. It's too late to turn this around. So if you mention the degradation of society, the violence increasing, people not caring, and then what's happening to the environment, just between you and me, this isn't going to last long. We, we, we don't. If you put a gun to my head, pardon a violent expression, and it made me guess, there's no way the majority of us on this planet, there's no way 60, 70% will be alive in five years. I, I agree with you on that uh, because, like you said, there, there's a Titanic, right? And people are arguing about pronouns and and silly, ridiculous things, and nobody's paying attention to the bigger thirty-five thousand foot view because they're so busy with their own personal, uh, uh, um, uh, petty um, differences that they can't they can't see beyond the wider horizon. Well, let me ask you this. This is difficult. If you, when you do a podcast, you know, I just started this podcast, but I did, I've done hundreds of videos. You've watched a lot of them. I was guest in many, many talk shows over the years. But it's impossible to have a platform, a podcast where you please everyone. Yeah. You just can't do it. Maybe if you talk about cats, but even then there's people who, like dogs versus cats. So no matter what I say, I'm gonna step on toes. I realize that in, in conducting a podcast, it is what it is. So maybe if there's 10 to 30 people that enjoy it, maybe that's the best I'll ever get. But I, when I look at what's going on and the information I know, and the other scientists that I talk to, top world renowned scientists, who never get press coverage. We know what's going on. I'm having trouble sleeping at night. I'm having trouble when I drive, when I eat lunch by myself, because I know a large portion of what's going on, having the data. And I still am missing a lot of data, but the data that I have and the other scientists that I collaborate with scares me so much. I can't sleep at night. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm having trouble eating. I'm down to one, maybe two meals a day at best. I'm in my 50s. This 
stress, mankind is not going to pull out of this. No way whatsoever, which means something's going to have to be done that's non-human. I am in full agreement with you on that. Full agreement. There, th this is an extinction level event that we are looking at. If we do not have divine intervention, then there will be no flesh that would survive this. Uh, that, that's an absolute fact. Now you can't, what are you, you gonna do? Go up to uh, someone at Panera Bread or Applebee's or a, a bakery store and go, hey, I know you don't know me. This, this will just take two minutes, hold on now. We're doomed as a species. There's no way of turning the earth, the environment is beyond the point of repair. Society is so violent and disassembled. The family unit is, there, there's not enough nuclear families left to hold this together. We need non-human, they, they would cart me off so fast in a straight jacket or beaten over the head with billy clubs by the local police department. You can't reach people. It's futile to try to get this message out and it's too late anyway. But then when you get into non-human intervention or non-human help, you talk about something where everyone has an opinion and gets very emotional and people argue and fight cats. You can't get 20 people in a room and talk about a, a spiritual solution or non-humans. There's, there's so much disagreement, even in that realm of discussion. You can't even have a civil conversation today. Everyone is at such odds. And I think the system engineers well, have designed it to where we're at odds. You can't even have a civil conversation about a spiritual solution. I, 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 I don't know what to do. You know, it, it, was, it was very much the same way in ancient times where prophets would try to warn and tell people that they need to, that this was the only solution was a spiritual one. They were violently persecuted and they were violently treated. But the only thing I would add myself is that the message still has to be given. And those people have to uh, 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 react to the information, however they react. Because it's like a doctor who finds out that a patient is dying he can't really withhold that information or sugarcoat it. He has to give the patient that information. So in the one thing I would say is I would personally, I give the message to people and let them react how they react. But I feel that the, the blood of that person is not on my hands. So if he reacts, however he reacts, I gave the message and let them, on their own, decide what to do with it. So it's like in ancient times, it's like a watchman. If they were asleep at duty, they could have lost their life. But if they yeah. blow the horn and warn, then if, if there's casualties within the city, that particular watchman at least did their duty so they're not yep. blood. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. That's exactly right.
Well, yeah. So it's... what I go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So what 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 I think and what I know from what I understand of of my uh, reading of the scriptures is that the knowledge that we have obligates us to tell people. And once we inform those people, our obligation is, 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 is resolved, it's done. Let those people decide to do with that information whatever they wanna do with that information. And if they want more information, of course, we're obligated to give them more. And if they want us to never speak to them again, we never speak to them again. Yeah. But that's just how uh, myself personally, how I go about it is I don't worry about not changing. We're not going to change the world. You and I both know this. The world is not going to change. But is there someone out there, one or two people, and Tim, you know this because you have touched one or two people and got them to an understanding of where we are. I am one of those people included. That your your actions have helped. Maybe not the world. We're not we're not going to that that this, that scale is off the table, but individuals. Well, it's funny you, you say that. I won't give the person's name. Uh, you're, you're the first to hear this. Let's see. This is Tuesday. Tuesday evening. Saturday. Saturday, I get an email. It was late at night. Or for me, it was 10 o'clock at night, Saturday. I didn't recognize the name. And uh, it said... I just want to let you know, this is the first time I contacted you. I never commented on videos. I used to have a, a YouTube channel. Now I just do a few on Odyssey. But they said, uh, you don't know me. I've never responded or commented on your videos, but I thought you needed to know this. And I got your email from past videos. And you've helped me a great deal and the person and i'm like i wonder what they're talking about and they said i've been struggling with severe a particular severe addiction they never mentioned what it was for most of my life and you had a video a series of videos four years ago about addictions and i'm like yeah i remember that on addictions and it didn't get many views uh, on the out, uh, the analytics, that, and I and I thought, well, I guess that's not a topic people want to talk about addictions. It didn't get that many hits, but in the video, it was about uh, addictions and the the complexity of the gut biome, and how the the gut biome, the bacteria, have a direct neural link in the gut brain corridor. And a lot yeah, of I remember those videos. Okay. So yeah, this goes back. And, and I gave great detail in these videos. And, and YouTube had wiped out my channel twice. I had over 600 videos. But I went into great scientific detail on how the gut back 
bacteria actually can control the body. And a lot of the cravings or addictions that you have is coming from these foreign invaders, this bacteria, and you have good bacteria or bad bacteria. And he had watched these videos multiple times and other videos. And he said, after years, I finally conquered my addiction. And he said, I, I, I just wanted you to know that you're very instrumental and it was a big help. And I appreciate all those videos that you have done. And I just want to let you know that there are some people uh, out there that listen and, and your efforts are not in vain. So I'm reading this. I, you know, I get teary eyed. Saturday oh, night, and I'm like, perfect. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! I forgot all about these. They were over three or four years ago, and someone finally emailed. And I'm like, wow, it has that kind of impact. Just one person. So that, that I didn't give this experience to brag at all. It's not bragging, but I, I just wonder if all the time and energy you think I don't even know if this is worth it, Elijah. It's a pain in the neck. I'm so busy. Does anyone listen or am I just putting a big target on my back? Uh, and then I get an what email like do? that and I, I just don't know how to respond. I, I, it was very uh, emotional Saturday night. I still have the email. I, I'm not going to delete what, it. What, what you are doing, what you are doing is what every person who has tried to worship God has done, give of themselves that's all you can do in this third dimension we don't have a lot of power to change things the only things we can change are ourselves and help others and that's what you are doing with these so what i'm trying to tell you is that it is worth it and you are reaching people even if you don't know them Well, you know, at the same token, I've gotten death threats from people. So it's all over the map. It's, it's insane. So, so did the prophets. Go, yeah. So did the prophets. I just, it's, it's, it's very complicated. What I can't is, did, figure this did, out, Elijah. It is so complicated. You get emails where someone deeply appreciates, brings you to tears, uh, that uh, they overcame a huge obstacle then i get emails where they want to kill me you know it's, it's like what well, from one look, one, look, at, one it, look at it this way look at it this way the son of god who was perfect helped 12 individuals right mm -hmm. one betrayed him and all of the people that he came here to help the jews they killed him right right would yeah. you consider that a failure i wouldn't no one does because the message is what's important. The message is what's going to help. I'm, you and I are two imperfect people in an imperfect world. The only thing that we have that has power or has impact is a message. The message that we have and the way we, we give it to others. That's what's going to have power to change. It's in God's word, right? And it's also 
in the truth. Now, you're a scientist and you have scientific truth. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I've uh, uh, been a minister for many years and I have what the Bible says for truth. And you know it very well as well. So it's not like you don't. Well, I, I think so, that... I think too, there's, there's people that maybe, uh, I hear a lot of terms about the uh, higher consciousness, a higher vibration, one of love and, and kindness, and then treat others as you want to be treated and be so working on yourself, displaying higher, uh, emotions of mercy, gratitude, kindness, love, forgiveness, I think is definitely the way to go. In the studies that we do, that helps cell regeneration. It helps immune system. Plant growth is stimulated when you have those positive emotions, which to me are spiritual emotions, uh, love, kindness, gratitude, uh, for forgiveness versus a world where it's uh, meism, yeah. uh, violence, uh, revenge, gossiping, slander, uh, very negative emotional qualities, which doesn't do cells uh, any good at all. So I, I believe anyone that is promoting that, who's trying to live it themselves and promotes that, all falls into the camp of being spiritual. Versus, the, you know, the, versus physical, uh, but I always say chasing plastic and leather, you know, someone who's strictly physical. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, when I was a, when I was a kid, I looked at the environment I grew up in and I saw something was wrong with it. And I tried to understand it. And the only time I was able to fully understand the situation I was in was when I opened up that book and I began to read it, the Bible. And that's when it taught me and showed me what's really going on with this world and why people are the way they are. Now, your work, your videos, you trying to reach out to people, that's, that you could consider that a ministry, really. And you're out there trying to help these people and, 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 and teach them what you know. And it's about paying it forward. We were given this knowledge. We have to give it to others. Because as you know, the world does not promote any of this. Everything that the world promotes is, is, is negative and, and destructive. So it's up to us to try and help people to see the positive and the and the um, uh, um, the good that they could do on an individual level. Yeah, because I guess I've been on record for many, many, many years about as a research scientist and the field that I'm in that there's no question to me that there's a dynamic energy. Uh, a divine or a source. There's definitely intelligent design. So I know we didn't get here by accident or a, a series of trillion to one odds of a happenstance, an accidental 
process. So I've always championed that there is some type of supreme intelligence, uh, a divine, a dynamic energy, especially with field theory, uh, clearly shows that there's a dynamic energy, but it's an energy that has uh, consciousness, has a, has a personality, not just raw, dumb energy, like an outlet in your house. But beyond that, uh, I try to point people that I think uh, a spiritual perspective is very important. If I go into any detail as to what my personal thoughts are based on study and review, I th that's usually when I just get shot full of holes, like at a shooting gallery, and people just don't want to hear it. So I think I can go to a certain point as a scientist and go here, and then I stop. If I go any further, I get filled with holes like Swiss cheese. I, I don't know, Elijah. So, well, uh, let, let's put it this way: um, you would be in good company if that were the case, because all of the people prior to you who did that, right? And I'm talking about in the scriptures. They the same thing happened to them. It's a weird thing where you're persecuted and hated for trying to be good, isn't it, Tim? Is this persecution, is it any what similar that you get? from being a White Sox fan. <laughs> just, I, I thought I would end the, I thought I'd end the interview with a bad joke. <laughs> well, hey, it wouldn't be Tim if you did it. <laughs> well, uh, time's up. I think we were getting really deep there. This is getting philosophical. Oh, yeah. past, uh, 25 minutes or so of the interview. It was good to have you uh, on the show and maybe we can have you back again, just like some of the other guests uh, that we had, the uh, Sasquatch dad and um, Raz. AC. Yeah, yep. And uh, AC Hemi, which yes. uh, all you Mopar Dodge Chrysler Plymouth fans out there, you know, the Hemi's the 426, that big V8 that won so many drag races. But uh, oh, yeah. we, I thank you for being my guest elijah and the background information you gave very enlightening about chicago and the dynamics of the gangs and trying to be neutral in school and um, certain terror i certainly wasn't aware of that i have a real good picture on 26th street and if you're on the south side crossing the north side the risk that you take especially the male 14 age 20 that's good to know i'm i grew up in the county and uh didn't have those dynamics and, and no. you, you gave some very uh, good insight. You were very kind to share that. And we'd like to have you back again if, uh, if, if you have time to share some more stories. Sure, anytime, Tim, anytime. And uh, do me a favor, avoid that section of Chicago that had <laughs> the 72 shootings. Otherwise, you won't be back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, trust me. Trust me, I will. <laughs> All right. Take care. Take care.